Why are you stalling, Captain? I don't want the game to end. I'm all in. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 37 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and, and listen, Star Trek Picard episode one, Remembrance, dropped last Thursday. So today I'm joined by Jonathan and Maggie Schaefer-Hames from Married with Comics, so we can react to Patrick Stewart's big return to the franchise. Maggie, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. And Jonathan, welcome back. You were just on to talk about Voyager, and I hope this was a totally different experience as far as research goes. Uh, yes, indeed. It's great to be back. It's nice to have my wife with me this time, so it's going to actually be of some quality. Darn tootin'. Yeah, so Star Trek Picard has started, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, we've been waiting for this for a while. We've. What's your general reaction uh, before we actually you know go into spoilers because uh we will spoil the episode if people haven't seen it if they're sort of stream waiting it um as uh, some might nowadays we are going to spoil the episode but i'll put a little sound effect to warn you that from beyond that point it's anything goes but right now our general reactions did we like it did we not like it maggie and jonathan what did you think i rather liked it especially considering that it's a pilot and historically pilots don't tend to be the greatest episode of a series, but I thought it was pretty solid and I'm looking forward to what comes next. I agree with my wife. I, I like this quite a bit. I'm very intrigued to see where it goes. It pushed all of my nostalgia buttons as well as being intriguing as a new definite form of Star Trek going forward from here. So it should be really fun. Yeah. I think you're right that it had to, it had to do two things. It had to have fan service. It had to be the nostalgia for the people who loved TNG. And there are a lot of people. A lot of people stopped with TNG, you know, started and stopped with TNG and did not go through with the rest of Trek. So this is kind of a return for them. And it's got to have all those little links. Uh, and we'll probably talk about specific examples later on. But it does do that. But it doesn't, you know, it's dangerous fan service. You don't want to go too far into it where the story stops dead in its tracks because you're giving Han Solo a medal. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it does, you can't have it call attention to itself, especially for new people who are getting into the program or don't have <laughs> the dirty knowledge of Star Trek that we might have. It can't just be, huh? You, you've got to do that and juggle that rather well. So I think that worked for me uh, as well. And the other thing they had to do was really evolve the TNG era about 20 years and make it relevant to today. Did you think that worked? I absolutely did. I mean, it's it's very different. Every Star Trek is going to be topical. That's just what Star Trek does. And this one is definitely gearing to, you know, make a couple of meta points. But, I mean, it's a logical... Ah, see what I did there? Uh, <laughs> 
It's a logical follow-up to where the Star Trek universe was when we last left it. And I'll definitely get more specific things about that when we're talking particulars. But basically, this I didn't feel like I was having the rug yanked under me too much, and I and it was unrecognizable. I definitely recognize this as the follow-up to next. Mm-hmm. How about you, Maggie? What was it something that you were looking forward to just just seeing Patrick Stewart in that role again? Pretty much. I mean, Picard has always been my favorite captain ever since I was a little kid, and I watched Next Gen with my dad growing up. So I, I was more really excited just about seeing Picard again, and the plot for a little while for me was kind of secondary. <laughs> I just really <laughs> wanted to get into it. So I, I do want to see more about kind of how this world changed. But yeah, I, I agree with John. I think it, it didn't seem unrecognizable. I think it follows a logical progression from where we last saw Next Gen. And I, I want to see a little bit more about how things have changed because they hint at some things and you get to see a little bit of, of the world and how things are. And I, I just I'm a sucker for Star Trek. So <laughs> I liked it. It still leaves some mysteries, but explains some of the things. And I think we knew it was about Picard dealing with an event uh, from his past. And um, and we all sort of assume things. That's not necessarily what we got, especially after the Children of Mars prequel that Short Treks gave us the week before that sort of threw us for a loop i think any other thoughts that would we call vague and unspoilery before we uh put the shields up just to kind of dovetail on what you were saying before about how this had two things it needed to do it had the same sort of scenario that the star wars trilogy that we just got had to do it had to tell a new story but you know, tie it into the last. And there's debatable as to how well that did, you know, succeeded and failed. And so now we're going to have to see how this one does. Yeah, and I think so, we need more input before we can really decide right. for sure. But so far, I really like it. It's really going to be awesome to see how this goes. Yeah, I mean, it really does have a good, some good DNA going for it. Not only past actors coming in, uh, but the showrunner is Michael Shabon, who is one of my favorite novelists. It was really about seeing, for me, how that translates. I mean, you can write The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and then not be good at television. <laughs> it's, it's two different right. skill sets. <laughs> but I really admired his short trek from last year. It was like, oh, it's him? Interesting. Really interesting. And so I, I definitely uh, respect his um, and admire his instincts. And so I think this is going to be a good series based on this one alone. And I think Patrick Stewart had a lot of input in this as well. And it shows really he wanted to be character first. And I think that's what we got in many ways. I, I'll echo Maggie's thought that, you know, the plot is kind of secondary, but I think it's true even watching this. It's like coming home to, you know, old friends. It's real, you know, even though it's basically Picard and we won't get to see a whole lot of other you know, legacy characters, uh, or just sporadically, it was like wrapping up in a in a warm blanket for me, sort of. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I'd sort of forgotten that feeling from TNG because I am such a Deep Space Nine fan because I've never let go of the Star Trek franchise and watched every iteration. It's not like I'm thinking, oh, TNG and or go home. <laughs> just getting back into Picard and his world and where he's at and and you know. So uh, and we're going to get some blazing speeches from him. We're going to get some great acting from him. And we know that he hasn't gotten any worse since TNG, quite the opposite. So, yeah. OK, let's turn on the shields. Shields up. Load all torpedo bays. Stand by phasers. From here on out, there'll be spoilers here. Watch out. <laughs> the The premise of the show is Picard 20 years after Nemesis. He's uh, he's left Starfleet under circumstances that we find out later. And um 
through the course of the program, if we keep it to the bare essentials, he's going to meet an android, uh, or flesh and blood android, a replicant who is or has a claim to be Data's daughter, or is actually made from Data's, I'll call it DNA, but you know what I mean. Abrams. Yeah, yeah. It was from his positronic stuff. She doesn't know it. She's activated through this. They're, the enemies seem to be the Romulans, even though the Romulans have lost their world in the Star Trek reboot movie and are now refugees. Uh, so is there a terrorist cell? We don't know. Picard is going to try to solve this mystery, and he's very attached to this whole thing because of the link to Data, who was an old friend and a man who gave his life for him in Nemesis. Uh, so uh, that's basically where we're up to. And um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to explain this plot without actually going into each and every other thing that we decided to talk about, but that's essentially the premise. And I guess a crew will form around Picard, according to the trailers. But at this point, it's just him and his investigation, his talking to interesting people and figuring this thing, this thing out. So what about that story? Oh, man, the story definitely is intriguing to quote data. I like mysteries <laughs> myself personally. It's... I like that it was a, a swerve from what we were kind of led to believe it was going to be. A little, at least for me, mm-hmm. I had a, I had kind of an idea about where it was going to go, and it was completely different. And that's great. Unlike a few fans here and there, I really like that when expect when the rug is yanked under me, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we have to go. This plot is really interesting. It's a very Star Trek plot, especially in the the era of post DS nine, with a lot of. Um, you know, secret undertones of something going on below the surface and the, you know, the utopia be, you know, showing cracks in it, that sort of thing. But there was enough definite callbacks to the original one that it felt very next gen especially when Picard and Data were interacting. My God, I didn't realize how much I missed that until I saw the two of them together. Picard and Data yeah. playing poker together. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah that's pretty great. That's an amazing opening. Uh, let, let's just single it <laughs> out, even though, you know, uh, because the show starts with the camera kind of going around the universe through Nebula and uh, and settles on the good old Enterprise D. So if you want fan service, it starts right, right at the beginning. where, <laughs> And then we go into a window and Picard is playing poker and that reminds us of the end of All Good Things, but he's just playing with, with Data. And that whole interaction kind of turned out to be a dream and, you know, kind of a nightmare where again, an echo of, a, of another story. It felt like first contact to me. That whole conversation is such a great, pure Data moment that we would have gotten on the show, uh, even though Data is dead. So that's why it has to be a dream. You're right. That small interaction is exactly why we loved Data. And I think why Picard loves Data, why Data was going to be central, even though he's he's dead, he's going to be central to this first season. Right. Um, I liked watching it the second time. I noticed that you can actually see Data's uh, pupil dilate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, I was going to try to look for that. At, and the, I didn't at the moment he talks about with his tell, not tell. Yeah. I liked that whole scene was very well put together. It's hard to do a dream sequence you know, properly because they never quite it's you can't really do the level of surreal nonsense that most dreams are like. But you you know right off the bat there's something wrong. They're wearing movie uniforms and they're still on the you know Enterprise D. Uh things start to, you know, get a little strange as it goes on and, and then Mars shows up. Or, or actually, the first thing is when he lays down the hand and it's he's got five queens. Mm-hmm. Were they all five queens of hearts? They yeah. were. 
I wonder if that's going to mean something or if that was just meant to be the instigating thing for Picard to realize he was dreaming. It's an unsettling moment for him, more so than just, oh, it doesn't make sense or Data's cheating. To me, it was like a callback to the Borg Queen in a way, but... Uh-huh. Um, and that's what makes it unsettling. That may be very, very much in the background. I think there are some Easter eggs in here. They're very far into the background, and I think that's one of them. Right. Maybe. But what I love about the, the scene is actually what Picard says in it, where he he's stalling because he doesn't want a game to end. And I think Kirk uh, warned him about that in Generations. But he doesn't want the game to end, <laughs> and yet he is all in. And that's Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that that scene at the beginning was heavily symbolic even if you're not quite sure why yet, I, I think there's some little bit of character analysis that goes. And I love that they started it off almost, or the, yeah, they started almost right where they left off with a poker game, <laughs> you know, on, on the Enterprise. They're in 10 forward, but whatever. Instead of the weird little closet that they play poker in next gen, <laughs> the poker closet, I guess. But even before that opening scene, the credits, I quite liked. I like. It, it kind of harkens to Discovery, does somewhat of the same thing with its theme song. The Picard theme song at the very end plays a little bit of the Next Gen theme. Mm-hmm. And the Discovery theme at the very end plays a little bit of the original recipe theme. Okay. And I rather liked that. Everything was just hitting the right buttons for me as it started off. I was like, hey, it's Star Trek. This is yeah. awesome. And it's more of my favorite Star Trek, which is more of Next Gen. <laughs> and it's okay that it's different. And using know? Blue Skies on that dream sequence is the mm-hmm. song that Data sang at Riker's wedding in Nemesis. So there's a tie-in there that that song is associated to Data now, and it's sung by Bing Crosby, who was kind of part of the family through Denise. So I, I felt oh, like there's a lot of little links like that. I didn't even think of that one. Denise Crosby? Denise Crosby of Tashiar. <gasps> was related to Bing Crosby? She's his granddaughter. Shut up. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I had no idea that that's who that was. <laughs> okay. This, this is why we podcast. We learn things. <laughs> we learn. <laughs> there are a lot of little <laughs> moments like this, you know? It's I, I mean, every time there's like, Picard has flashbacks, and there's like there's that perfectly gratuitous uh, banner of Captain Picard Day. That was oh, great. Oh, I love seeing that. Yeah, it means nothing to the program, you know, to the episode you're watching, except the fact that that mm-hmm. Thursday was Captain Picard Day for us. You know, oh, oh, oh right. Uh, I didn't That's think of it that way. He's yeah, man. Just from the beginning when it zooms in and there he is playing poker with Data. Uh, that hit me in a way and touched all of my nostalgia buttons and made everything work in a way that even seeing Han Solo and Chewie Mm. again on the screen didn't quite do it for me. It was just, they're sitting there, they're talking, they're acting exactly the same way they do. They're having their banter that, that you would expect of them. And it took me a second to really realize it, to sit, Oh my God, I'm watching a new Star Trek with Picard and data. Mm -hmm. And I was, so happy yeah. at, at that point. Let's talk about the characters. We, of course, Picard is the central character to this. We could say it's the same sort of structure, story, concept as Discovery that decided to follow Michael Burnham rather than the crew. And then eventually the crew was filled out. And mm-hmm. I think that's the, they're doing that with Picard, although we know Picard, from after that, that amazing dream sequence where he's all in, we're all in. After that, we're playing catch up with this universe. I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a Magnificent Seven thing. Hmm. A lot of losers coming, you know, coming together to, to do this. I sort of did not want him to be... It doesn't need to have a crew. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have a crew because Star Trek needs a crew. I was kind of hoping for something completely different from that. And in this first episode, I think Picard alone 
is someone you want to follow, and I don't think you need the crew around him necessarily. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Um, it's hard to say until we get to see the crew in action and what they do, but yes, Patrick Stewart is definitely enough to carry any scene he's in. Yeah. And I was intrigued just by following him and watching him trying to unfold this mystery as it was going. But the, there was also the idea as it was going that he's he's a bit out of his depth and he's going to need help. Yeah. I think is the whole point of that. I like how excited he was that he has an adventure that he gets to go on. You know, it's it's this in, in the opening credits. One of the things that they do right at the very end is a couple pieces come together to form Jean-Luc Picard. And I think that's going to be kind of a running theme is him piecing himself together because he's obviously not content to stay on the Picard vineyard. He never wanted that life. He wanted to be off adventuring in space. And I think at one point he mentioned something about how he used to feel when he'd stand on the bridge, like he'd be the only a, a person awake in the entire universe and how much he missed that feeling that's the kind of life that Picard wants to live. Um, even though he's happy, I think, you know, to a certain extent on the family vineyard with the two um, Romulans who are with him and, and number one, um, his dog, it's not the life that he would have chosen for himself. He's kind of put himself into this self-imposed exile a little bit. And when he gets this mystery to unravel and suddenly this random girl shows up and is like, do you know who I am? And he's like, mm, not so much, but let's figure it out together. He goes right back to being Captain Picard again. Yeah. And that's another thing worth pointing out that Captain Picard in this show is in his 90s. Yeah, he's supposed to be either 92 or 94. I mean, John, uh, Patrick Stewart has always been playing Picard older than he is. And he does a really good idea. I mean, it's he's in his 90s in the 24th century. So that's probably like, you know, mid 60s, early 70s right. equivalent. But the scene where he meets, what what is Dodge. the name of? Dodge. Don't have to remember her name anymore. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, when he meets Dodge, just that befuddlement mixed with that compassion and concern that Picard has. And he's like, what? <laughs> and sits down. And then you can see him from that moment, all of the pieces, like you said, coming back together and he's becoming more of Picard. Mm -hmm. The other metaphor in that opening sequence is that you are what your past made you. And that the, the pieces that we see in the montage include that attack on Mars, include a Borg cube, uh, which actually becomes relevant later in the series, but still, the Borg experience and all of those things are, and even the vineyard, are part of who he is today. And, and so we see like little parts of that become, those fragments become a, an entire person. So he is haunted by his past, whether it's the vineyard and his family's legacy uh, that he has somehow is forced into, it's, it's a kind of exile in a way, but the Borg thing is going to still be relevant, I think, and then... Of course, this new tragedy was like 10 years ago uh, at the Utopia Planitia shipyards. That is all part of who he is mixed in. And so it's like here is the Picard of today that is a an amalgam of all those mm -hmm. things. And um, I like the way that age has mm -hmm. changed him. On the one hand, you've got – I'm going to put three hands in. But <laughs> on the one hand – You've got that he is, he wants to go on an adventure because he's missing it. That his dread, he wakes up from a nightmare, looks out the window, and it's like, it's going to be okay, number one. What dystopia are we looking at? And it's it's the vineyard. And this is the dreariest life he could have imagined for himself. But he's also changed in the way that you could almost think that the journalist that interviews him might have said, okay, boomer. <laughs> uh, when Because he gets a little bit 
condescending. He gets on a high horse and says, well, you, you kids today, uh, you can just ignore war and just, and he makes like a move like, uh, like you would on your phone screen. Yeah. Um, which isn't exactly a trick thing, but so he, he's the old man that is, yes, ethical, but he's also saying this generation doesn't get it kind of thing. So he's right. And then, but he also goes a little too far because he's showing his age. And of course, the third thing is he can't run as fast as he could before. You know, you've got w scenes where he can't do the action. And I don't mean that, to, you know, sometimes you see actors get too old for the role. I mean, you might, you might think of the original cast, for example, where really these guys are going to be action heroes but they've all put on weight or they're all older and it's kind of creaky in this case it's not it's it's part of the concept it's part of the idea that picard can't do all that stuff anymore uh so i like how they've aged him mentally and physically but also that he's got a i don't know with dodge once he realizes what's going on he's so proud of her you know he's such like the the kind uncle to his friend's somewhat daughter so it's even more impactful when this is one of the big spoilers i thought dodge is killed when you thought she was going to be part of the cast for sure yeah. i was so bummed out i was real mad <laughs> she was mad because i liked the character and i wanted to i i had actually just gotten done looking at john and saying how um i was really interested to see a dynamic between such you know so much of an, an older man who's almost like a grandfather to her and this young woman and like finally there's going to be like no sexual tension here they're just going to be close because i think what he says at the archives is you know if, if this is all true then you are dearer to me than you can ever possibly know and I, there's something I find always very comforting about Captain Picard. It, there's just something about him that I, I find very trustworthy and comforting when I see him on screen doing stuff. You're like, eh, everything's going to be all right. Picard's going to get through it. It's going to be fine. Except then she blows up in a horrible way. But in, in it's, it's also during that same part where they're running up the stairs to get, for whatever reason, to the roof of the building where you have nowhere left to go when you get there, when you're running away from people. To see Patrick Stewart like trying to run up those stairs, I'm like, oh my God, you're going to kill him. Don't break the man. Don't make him run upstairs. But I wonder if some of that age is going to kind of um, be like the, the motivation for why he needs a crew around him is because he can't do some of the action and some of the physical things that he could 20 some years ago. You know, he, he needs to kind of shore up his, his skills a little bit with other people to, to kind of help him do the things that his age prevents him from doing now. Especially in the movies when he was a muscle-bound action hero. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Dodge. I know she gets replaced, but she's sort of, I guess she's the new Lal. And she also has a Hindi name, just like Lal. So that's that tracks. By the end of the show, we find out that she has a twin sister, uh, Soji who that actress stays in the show, at least. One of the things I actually was going to ask when we did this was, do they ever refer to androids as synthetic life in the show? That seemed new to me. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe it's like one of those terms that, you know, obviously, if there's like 40 years between TNG episode one and this, mm -hmm. uh, you get different vernaculars, different slang, and maybe they started referring to synths or synthetics as part of, you know, the ones that Bruce Maddox and his team were creating, mm -hmm. uh, they were calling them synthetics. Because at, at first, it's very mysterious, because the first time they mentioned synth is in the Children of Mars thing, rogue synths. So I was I was balling everybody together up into the same category. Is synths androids as much as holograms? Because there was this whole, in Voyager, there was this whole movement towards um, sentient holograms. 
and giving them rights. So mm. much later, are all these people since? But then we see the index of the Starfleet Museum is a hologram right. and potentially sentient because she's doing data-like things, like trying out humor and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but not banned. She's not banned. Yeah, I think I got the the impression from her that she was much more like a space Alexa. You know, she wasn't as sentient mm. as the doctor or data was, or at least or they it could just be that they've ignored everything about holograms since then. And they don't even pay any attention to how sapient they, they are. My take on the synths thing. I thought that was an after the fact, you know, neologism, because these it's like a prejudicial term. See, that's what I was wondering They're, if it was like a derogatory thing that they started calling them after the incident with Mars right. and the Romulan rescue mission. And uh, yeah. Romulans themselves aren't aren't treated so. I mean, the the lady from Space Fox News was yeah. um, steered the thing on him, and basically the the idea of referring to you took all these risks to save Romulan lives. And, and he's he, like, no, no, lives. That was one of my favorite. I know we're supposed to be talking about Dodge right now, but that was <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the episode was where he says, no, lives. No. And it's such a perfect allegory for stuff that's going on today right now where we keep othering people mm-hmm. and distinguishing, you know, the the value or the worth of a life based on what kind of life that is. And he just says, no, lives. Because even though we, we got into the Picard universe with that dream, and I think that was the fan service bit, mm-hmm. I think we really come home with that speech mm-hmm. yeah. with that, that he gives the journalist. That that whole speech, that is Picard. That is the rhetorical Picard, yep. the speech-making Picard. Every great Picard episode in TNG history has one of the, these speeches. That's how we define a strong Picard episode, yeah. basically. Uh, that and maybe he plays the Resican flute. <laughs> and there's, there's, there is flute in this score. I gotta say, there was flute in this score and did not go unnoticed for me. Well, Dodge isn't a character that goes on very far because, yeah, she dies here. So it's hard to, to talk about her in any kind of depth. What life she had before and are her parents real? All we see is a hologram on a... I mean, how much of her memories are fabricated? That was what I was thinking at the time. I was like, okay, so now knowing what we know... Who is her mother? Is that a fabricated thing, as you said? At what point was she made? Was she given a whole bunch of, you know, fake memories and stuff? And why was her mother so concerned that she get to Picard? And how did her mom know who Picard was in the first place? Right, and that's why I imagine everybody knows who Picard is. Well, but the special significance that he would have for her. Uh, Oh, yeah. Especially when she said, but I didn't tell you who I'd gone to see. And she said, you've got to find Picard. Do it now. So we don't know. Is she a ba- was she a bad person trying to get it? So was the idea to get Vaj to him, maybe to be some sort of like assassin on him? It, we we don't know. We and I, John was pointing out a little bit before we started recording. We're not entirely certain who the bad guys are. We're certainly yeah. led to believe that the Romulans are the bad guys because they're the ones who killed Daj um, and attacked her in her apartment and killed her boyfriend and instigated this whole plot. But that doesn't necessarily... Yeah. Star Trek's really good at subverting expectations. Especially since to assume that all Romulans are bad because of those Romulans are bad would be to be making the same mistake as what the people are making in this new right. new world here. Mm-hmm. With her parents, too. When she says the necklace that she's got that her dad gave it to her, does she mean the guy who made the two sisters? Or is she talking about this guy that she feels and maybe she did actually grow up with with his father and who gave it to her? I'm gonna, Seems like it's more the guy. I'm going to guess that. Yeah. Picard says, 
and he's more comforting than a Blade Runner is on this topic. Uh, but you know, it's like if my memories, it's like, and it's a beautiful memory that you have of your father giving you this. So he's implying yeah. that the memory, the memory is real because that that's how he comforts her by saying that it's it's yours. That's your memory. They can't take it away from you. But it never happened right. in real fact. It's just a simulation. Yeah, uh, that that's what he's implying. So are the parents real? Has she never met her parents? Is this type of android able to grow up from a baby, or was she created, you know, as an adult? Every memory from her growing up, including receiving the gift, is false. Yeah. I cannot wait to find out. That's one of the things I love about Star Trek is they always tackle rather esoteric questions. What does it mean to be real? What does it mean to... Because the first thing she responds with is, you're telling me that I'm not real. And he said, no, 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 that's not what I'm telling you. That's what Star Trek does. And that's one of the reasons why I love Star Trek shows in general is because they, they do kind of ask those odd questions and they kind of answer them with rather out-of-the-box thinking sometimes. And I've always really liked that. So there was, there's still a lot of recognizable, like, Star Trek tropes that they managed to put into this that still makes it very much a Star Trek show. But it's different, and it's independent, and it's separate from Next Gen. You know, a, a continuation or an extension of it. What about the other uh, ongoing character? And that's um, Allison Pill as Dr. Agnes Girardi. She's going to be part of this crew. Well, I love her. I loved her in the newsroom. The newsroom, yeah. Um, we really didn't get that much of her. I, she has a little bit of fun banter, though. Yeah. With it, and I like her. I think she's got I, a little moxie. I like the bit where the second that she realized when Picard mentions the one thing that was enough to set her brain off on a well, that if that sort of thing's possible here, and, and oh my God, he did it. It's she's gonna. I, I'm assuming she's gonna be like the Dax or Spock character, probably the one that'll be spouting techno babble. And things like that. Mm. Lucky her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she has like that smile to her. You know, he comes to her with a, a question and she, she says, well, the short answer is no. And what's the long answer? It's still going to be no. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know, and remember that note I was promising you? You know, you, now you're coming around to it. Now you're getting it that it's not possible. I can't wait to see more of her in this. Cause I, like you, I liked her in the in the newsroom. I liked her in Scott Pilgrim. And, you know, Alison Pill fan here. So I'm happy to see her in Star Trek. And then there's like all these other characters that are not going to be continuing, I guess, they may re be recurring, but they're not like in the credits or anything like the Romulan uh, servants at his estate. You think they're going to bring a number one, the dog, onto the mission? Yeah, I really hope not. I know, but it would be <laughs> kind of cool if they did. I love that they gave him a dog and that it, it's a pit bull because Patrick Stewart fosters pit bulls. It's a passion of his. And they were apparently he wanted if they were going to give him a dog. He wanted it to be a pit bull. And not only, I don't know what its name is. I, I tried to look on the internet, but it let me down. But it is a rescue dog. Yeah, no, the dog has a name. Uh, I saw it. It's at least on Memory Alpha. So when I checked, and it's um, uh, De Nero is the name of the dog. The actual oh, dog. Oh, neat. That's, yeah. I just thought that was a really nice touch, like a, a personal Patrick Stewart thing um, that he was going to have. He wanted this particular breed and that it's a rescue dog. It's not one of his fosters, but. Not to keep harping on, on, on Stewart, even though he's the. You know, star. But have we ever heard Picard speak French before? Besides, you know, yes. the occasional merit. Yes, and it's always quite terrible. So, <laughs> you know, I, I know about this, of course. On the show, he said merde two times. So, shit, twice. And he said mama at one point. That's about it, I think. And in any case, it's it's not, you know, his pronunciation is 
awful. Yes. Full sentences in this did not sound like they came from a Frenchman. <laughs> I'm sorry, but and I, I mean, I might as well mention my pet peeve because people think that's my pet peeve. It's not necessarily my pet peeve uh, because you know the actor can does what they can, and not everybody is is as linguistically strong on this. My one pet peeve for this whole show, and I'm going to mention it here, is the vineyard. Yeah. That is not a French vineyard. Now, obviously, they shot it in California, but wow. to oh. me, everything screams not France. You know, you've got your Californian mountains in the back. Fine, <laughs> fine. You, you've got that, uh, that, the house itself is Spanish style. Okay, fine. And this is going to be, it's just me. This is just me. But I've worked on a vineyard. Oh. And the plants are planted too far apart. European style, they're twice as close. American style, they're farther apart. And that was a Californian vineyard. And th that sort of thing drives me nuts, but it's just me. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a very small complaint. That's why we love you, Siskoid. See, I wouldn't have even known that. Yeah, now I, I can think about it, too. Definitely did not give it that much thought. <laughs> I've been to France, but that's about it. I wouldn't have. Well, I worked a vineyard in Texas. The, the thing with that vineyard was that it was planted European style. That's how I know how to what they're supposed to look like either way. So <laughs> it's a very specific <laughs> complaint that could only come from me. I'll allow it. <laughs> I liked all the, the, you know, the ancillary characters, of course, like the Romulans that worked with Picard mm -hmm. uh, were interesting in and of themselves and well acted. And that's that's where you start to play catch up. Really, TNG 20 years later, right? It's it's like uh, we've got that the, the refugee crisis with the Romulans. We've got that attack that is on Mars that is, I guess, supposed to be their 9-11. Let's bring it up to today. And we've got at once 9-11, a Muslim ban, which is the synth ban. Mm -hmm. We've got refugees, whether they come from Syria or from uh, South America. And the Romulans are supposed to be that. And even in Picard's household, and he he's a big proponent of Romulan rights, you know, sentient rights. Uh, even on Earth, they are in servile positions. I wouldn't be surprised if those two Romulans actually have a skill set that far outpaces what they're doing on the vineyard. Or they may not, but I mean, yeah, so it's like and Picard is angry that the Federation and Starfleet turned their backs on the world after that attack that became isolationist. So it's, this is very much the 21st century Western world. That was I, – I like that because, man, when Deep Space Nine did some of the best post-9-11 commentary before 9-11. So now that we've actually had it, we can have this, and they're definitely there. There have been – some folks I know are complaining about this. I think – one of them, at least, was looking for stuff to complain. But uh, another one was really bothered by, you know, the cracks around the surface of the utopia. They really believe strongly in the utopia, and they don't believe that the Federation would abandon a Romulan relief effort in the middle of it just to, um, you know, stop an attack. And I'm like, I think that's kind of the whole point of the show is that the Federation and Starfleet don't match the ideals anymore. And it, you, then that tracks with how the show's gone, especially since the Dominion War. With the Dominion War, we've already, we're starting to see some of the shady underhanded stuff that's been there. And this only got worse as it went on. You combine that with the Borg attacking, getting all the way to Earth and go, going back in time and trying to change things. And then you've got Sinjan and, and the Romulans already putting that idea. You've got, you know, 20 years after that period of time is a lot of uh, retconning that people do in their own personal um, headcanon about who the Romulans were, how, when they were our allies, and whether or not they're worthy of saving. 
because I, I'm pretty sure that that wasn't just um, an over one overly opinionated journalist who was saying things like that. I think she was definitely supposed to be representing a a large opinion. Romulans aren't as important as other lives, and the synths are, are banned and all of that stuff. So it's a great place for drama. It is the exact opposite of what Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 was. So I'm excited <laughs> to see where it goes. I think that there's a lot of um, like so- social allegory going on that's definitely historical throughout Star Trek, for sure, to the point where I'm confused why anyone would say otherwise, but okay. I think it's very much in line with the rest of the Star Trek, at least that I've seen. Granted, now I call myself a Star Trek fan. I've seen a fair bit of Star Trek. I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen a lot of it, at least. So I kind of know that of which I speak, at least a little bit. As someone who's seen all of it, there's a lot you're not missing. Yeah, that's what I gather. There's some weird stuff that happens (laughs) in Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah, but I I think it's like people sometimes mistake what Star Trek uh, was doing with what it should be doing. Because we talked about this in the previous episode, Jonathan and I, but the the problem with Voyager. And the problem with Voyager, and we didn't even touch on that point, I don't think, but uh, looking at this and comparing, the problem with Voyager is that they thought Star Trek is about a spaceship exploring unknown space. And yes, the previous shows were doing that. But that is not what Star Trek is about. And I don't think Voyager ever really managed to say anything about the world we lived in in the late 90s definitely not very well you know it it never controlled that message so the original star trek was very much a cold war show and you could you could tell cowboy diplomacy it was you know it was about people from back then tng once you know it's a glasnost kind of show and it's a detente kind of show and and eventually it's it's really more about the you know self-actuating culture that was popping up in the late 80s early 90s -hmm. It was about self-improvement because there wasn't an outside foe. And then Deep Space Nine, it, it is pre-9-11, but it is post-Gulf War. And, you know, it's it's kind of mm-hmm. uh, playing with that threat. And we, we were starting to lose faith in a way. And so those feel like they're talking about conflicts from the past or from that moment. But Voyager never really did that. With Picard, it's full on. I mean, Discovery was started with a war. Mm-hmm. And we are at war. We've been at war since 9-11. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. There are stories to tell there. Let's say Picard is more of a domestic problems show. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, very much so. And even in universe, it, it works out. There's always been a militaristic wing in any era of Star Trek that, that comes to the surface more often when it's needed. And I'm thinking we're going to see that. And I, I'm pretty sure, I, I mean, I'm getting the vibe off of this, that Picard, you know, as the representation of, of the Star Trek that we know of all that is good in Starfleet and the Federation is going to, it's going to be the message about how a utopia doesn't just happen. Even if you have a utopia, you have to work and defend the utopia. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the utopia can turn into a dystopia very easily. And the idea that um, fascism is not very far away in any system of government if you're not vigilant and i think we've already seen in this that they haven't been as vigilant as possible and i have a feeling that that's going to become a little bit more apparent as we go on Mm. even the role of the media in this bringing in a journalist who is obviously tapped into a certain agenda uh and uh you know basically calling it's it's the idea uh, that a refugee crisis is not a crisis for the refugees. It's a crisis for the host country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is totally wrong and upside down. And I think Picard calls her on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was a journalism major before I was a 
English lit major. And one of the reasons that I left that program was my own disaffection with the way journalism was going, even then in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So looking at this here, where you know she breaks the contract, she's sensationalistic. She asked him how he feels. Mm -hmm. She's really icky as well, because it's supposed to be a puff piece about that Remembrance Day, that anniversary of the Romulan tragedy. And then she turns that to, why did you leave Starfleet and get all these juicy things live? That really undermines the soberness of that day. That really disrespects the Romulans. Totally just cheapens everything. You know, with the gotcha tactics and just looking to get, you know, reviews or hits or whatever it is in the 24th century at this point. But mm -hmm. yeah, I I liked that scene. I thought, I, I like this show. I think I'm really going to look forward to the rest of what's going to happen. <laughs> totally set in our world 400 years from now, but it's totally our world and it's going to be yeah. commenting on our world. And not necessarily as like a total allegory where this means that and this means that, uh, but exploring those themes through a remix of our history sort of thing. Let's talk a little bit about the look and feel of the show. Um, well, I thought it looked great, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It, looked, it also broadens the world. I mean, we've never seen, like, we've seen future San Francisco before, of course, but not necessarily Paris, but Boston, that's a new one as well. So we're, they're broadening the world with their matte paintings. And we got a little bit of, uh, I like any time in Star Trek that they show what civilians, what the life of a civilian is like. And just getting to see the two, you know, people before everything went sour, having a little date in the Bosch's apartment. Dodge, sorry. And and looking, uh, you know, looking forward to being able to go to the Daystrom Institute, which we also got to see, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. That was neat. Mm -hmm. And then it just, you know, goes sour. But I, I also, like you said before, the the this, even though the vineyard um, doesn't look like a French vineyard, <laughs> it was still gorgeous. And the house is great, and the people on there. I, you were talking about filters. Yeah, yeah, I liked how the vineyard was shot more yellowy than anything else in the rest of the episode, and it's almost it almost creates a sort of um, dreamscape kind of an atmosphere when he's on the vineyard. But it's it's very pastoral, it's very peaceful, and the the yellow kind of filter that they use, I thought it it makes it very pretty. But then that's that's taken away when you see the rest of the world. So it's, it's very separate. It's very much, I think, kind of um, doubling down on the idea that he's isolated, that he's you know not a part of everything else. And he's sort of chosen that as of the first episode. Mm. And then the, like the the rest of Earth is more of a, like a cool blue uh, kind of thing, right. kind of the Starfleet blue, Federation blue. And then you've also got like, I guess, the villains or the supposed enemies or I don't know. They're all like the green accents. So you've got your Romulans who... Like we said, th their role is not clear. Those attack teams, those hit squads, you know, could very well just be Romulans tasked by a Section 31 or a Starfleet group uh, or another political group using them to, to carry out their missions so that they're caught. It seems like it's, you know, it's going to be like a stain on, on the Romulan record. Or they may actually be a faction of Romulans who are desperate enough to, to do something violent, quite possible, which does not say anything about the the rest of the Romulan population and then we, we see a what they call a Romulan reclamation site which is built inside a Borg cube that was so crazy yeah this is the other piece of the puzzle this is the piece of the puzzle that we don't quite understand yet basically what the heck happened after Janeway destroys the Borg what happened to all the Borg drones that were deassimilated? What about all the, the, the Borg tech that was abandoned? It didn't all blow up, did it? 
So that's the question that was never answered because Voyager lacks an epilogue. And of course, it's all married into Picard's history. We're going to see Seven of Nine, according to the trailer. And that's all green accents. So when we go back to Romulus, or what used to be Romulus, that system, there's that big cube there, which has the same kind of colors. Although they, they have grafted on some Romulan insignia on there. So it appears to be Romulan-owned. And if I don't know if you noticed, but... The Romulan logo now, the bird does not have any planets in its talons. I did not, but that's really great. Yeah, that's oh, pretty that cool. That level of attention to detail is, I just want to hug it. <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> I know. Oh, you hear about the, the Borg Cube, though, and that maybe, weren't you saying that maybe that's where they put the refugees? That's where they did. That was the reclamation. Oh, that mm-hmm. was Actually, it. Yeah, that's... Oh, okay, okay. I get you, I get you. That would be kind of crummy. You get to live in a derelict Borg Cube. Have fun with that. Yeah, which is interesting because in the 09 Star Trek reboot, Nero's Romulan like drill ship uh, definitely had some Borg components mixed in with it. In fact, that was a, a cut sequence, and in the tie-in fiction, you get a little bit more of that. Okay. That could have been where he got it. In that movie, he mentions that Starfleet turned its back on the Romulans. Uh, what he doesn't say is that Picard tried to help, and for a while, Starfleet did help. And then they, they turned their back. So they, they sort of, it's a bit fast and loose the way they're, they're playing this, but it turns out that in the Star Trek movie, there is a line that says, you know, Starfleet turned their backs on us. And that's part of his anger, you know, going back in time and screwing things up. It all ties into that as well. I feel like if you're going to do the full watch, you know, to prepare yourself, you kind of need to watch those sequences in Star Trek reboot to actually get what, you know, where the Romulans are in this. Yeah, worth watching anyway. I like that one. What about uh, what we're looking forward to then? We've got nine episodes to go. There's a second season already announced. What are you looking forward to finding out in the coming weeks from now to the end of March and even beyond? Oh, boy. I'll be honest. I am interested to see how the crew forms and what roles everyone plays. It kind of looks like one of those guys looks like a samurai. I think he's another Romulan mm-hmm. or maybe he's... Was, is he Romulan or is he... We, we don't know. know. We don't. Vulcan, right. Exactly. I don't know. I am interested to see Allison Pill's character and the role that she fills on the ship as well and who the bad guy actually is. Because I'm not entirely sold that it's the Romulans because it's always the Romulans. And I don't think it is in this case. I am looking forward both along that line about the Romulans themselves because the Romulans, when done right, are my favorite species. And they are so rarely done right. And it looks like there's a big opportunity here to add a level of nuance and and depth to them which they've deserved for a long time Mm -hmm. because they went from being honorable space warriors to kind of space assholes (laughs) that was their whole defining (laughs) feature i'm looking forward to specifically seeing uh riker and troy when i saw them in the trailer oh i can't wait I, it, I, it did not occur to me how much I, I have missed Commander Riker specifically. And, and rewatching Next Gen with you, I have a lot more appreciation for Troy Thank now than I much. used to. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be mm-hmm. fun. Plus, we get seven of nine. And despite my feelings on, on Voyager, it's still Star Trek. Right. And, and seven, just from the brief bits we've gotten from her on the trailer there's mm-hmm. definitely something that has gone on with her she's such a bad yeah. arguably the best part of voyager so yeah. it's nice to have her back i also think that's why you need to bring the dog along on the adventures just so there can be an interaction between two the two number ones uh, no. <laughs> yes. 
I want that to pay off somehow. <laughs> we named the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are the characters that we know that are going to show up. Um, and Patrick Stewart was recently on an episode of The View where he yeah. invited Guinan. Well, he invited Whoopi Goldberg to come back to play Guinan in the second season. <laughs> There's also the question of, are we going to see, I know he's a minor character, but are we going to see Bruce Maddox actually? Uh, you know, Are they going to bring back that actor to play Bruce Maddox? Because he gets mentioned quite a lot, and he's disappeared. Yeah, and I've, he created uh, the, the new kids. Are there characters that have not been announced, but that you would really like to see mm. either in this season or the next? Catch up with them, see where they are now. I mean, honestly, Riker and Troy are the two big ones for me. So I'm I'm happy that they're they're established. We're we're going to get to an episode eventually where we get to see them. I wonder if did we ever see Beverly Crusher in any of the trailers? No. Or she or, or Will Wheaton. Um, Wesley. <laughs> I'm wondering if the, if either of them are going to show up because Crusher and Picard had a thing, didn't they? Didn't they have a thing? Of sorts. A sort of, sort of yeah. thing, yeah. And I wonder if she's going to show up or if she's going to be a plot point, maybe. But it would be kind of interesting to see them again. If we get more Brent Spiner, I want Jordy LaForge. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the two of them can be friends and we can see yeah. Jordy getting to react to see his friend again. I want to see everybody again. Uh, I do, too. I just want the end of I want but, all of next gen. but I don't want all of them there all no, of the time at no, all. Absolutely. I, I want new Star Trek. I want it to go forward about this. Yeah. I still have a theory in the back of my head that Picard might die mm. at some point during this season and they'll like name them ship Picard or something like that. I mean, I don't know what that would do to some of the fan base, but it's a possibility. Ouch. Because there is, with an older actor, you you, all, you run that risk. I'm sure that's insured up the wazoo, but, um, you know, what if you lose your actor due to some illness or something? That's something that could happen. Let's not think too much about that. No. I, I think the, the idea that Wesley could show up would be interesting because that is a character that is still in need of redemption. Uh, and Will Wheaton is a working actor today. It's not like bringing back, uh, you know, the old folks home the, the way that the original cast eventually started to, to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, he was younger. He's in his 40s now. So that would be an interesting if they had something to do for him. I would like that a lot, especially since, you know, he went away with the Traveler. But then he's apparently back, at least as far as Nemesis is concerned. You know, he was at the wedding. He didn't get a line. We've got nine weeks to discover everything that this has to say. The, the trailers are sort of intriguing, action-packed. Lots of characters. And we're not going to do a show like this every episode. That's just not the mandate of Give Me That Star Trek. You know, by the end, we might want to do a recap thing or something. You know, like uh, look back on it in a couple months. Mm -hmm. That would probably be fun. Yeah. I'm so keen to see where this goes. I'm looking forward to next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one thing I wanted to point out, which is that this first episode was directed by a black woman, which is... So Star Trek. Star Trek is the perfect place for that. Mm -hmm. Yep. In front and behind the camera. And behind the camera has always been, you know, more insidious uh, missing element is having people of color and women working behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Although Star Trek has had, you know, DC Fontana and staff in the original series. Star Trek has always done a little better, let's say. Uh, and that trend keeps going. I'm just happy to have more Star Trek. I've you know, watched all of this. Uh, out of all of them at this stage, this is the most excited I think I've been about going forward. And, and, I'm, and I feel as good about this because this is probably the best pilot we've had this side of Deep Space Nine. Although it's kind of different to compare the two with apples and oranges when you're talking just a syndicated episodic show versus a storyline. But... This looks like they're doing everything right, and 
I am going to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Same, same. Could have watched it back to back right away and almost did. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's very strong. And more you watch it, the more little things you catch. Like I didn't even mention another score nerd kind of thing is that when you see that Borg cube or the, the, the Romulan ship flying into that Borg cube before you know it's a Borg cube. The musical cue is the same as the one in Balance of Terror, which is the first Romulan yeah. episode. So, you know, it's like little stuff like that that you just kind of notice on the second go. Yeah, the original music on that, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
A few days later, we lost René Aubergenois, who played Odo on Deep Space Nine, after losing a battle with lung cancer. In addition to DS9's favorite changeling, he also played Colonel West in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And since the last episode, three more short treks have been released, including two very different animated ones. They have nothing to do with the two animated projects that are in pre-production right now, but show the possibilities animation affords the franchise. I especially recommend Ephraim and Dot, in particular if you're a fan of the original series. Michael Chabon will not be showrunner for season two of Star Trek Picard, having just signed a deal to adapt and produce a Cavalier and Clay series for Showtime, though he will remain involved in the show creatively as executive producer. Terry Matlis will pick up the reins as showrunner. He most recently was the creator and showrunner of the TV adaptation of 12 Monkeys and was a production assistant for both Voyager and Enterprise. As for the other shows in development, Section 31 is in what they call active development. It will go into production on the heels of Discovery Season 3 to take advantage of its standing sets, etc. Apparently, both Discovery and Lower Decks will be ready by May 2020, but the jury's still out as to which show CBS All Access will decide to air first. And finally, some news on the Star Trek movies that seem to be uh, burning in pre-production hell. Quentin Tarantino is now saying that he's drifting away from the project and that if his pitch gets made, he might not direct it himself. But he hasn't decided. Noah Hawley is apparently still attached to the Kelvin Timeline movie and expects to jump into the project as soon as he's done with Fargo Season 4. From his comments, his take may be less action-heavy, pushing clever solutions to problems instead, but he promises something very different. Early days still. And now a selection of your comments on our previous episode on Fixing Voyager with Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. Jeff R. is first out of the hatch. First of all, he would have had Tuvok put Janeway under arrest at some point uh, and have her spend the rest of the series in a cell. Uh, but he says the fix for the Maquis uh, relevance is easy. Put some Cardassians in the Delta Quadrant. The Badlands were in their backyard. Lots of ships could have fallen in over the centuries. Some built empires. Some are trying to get home. Uh, maybe one has a Federation threatening caretaker weapon. And you can make a, an arc out of that. Chakotay, though, has to go. The Maquis leader role should probably be another woman. Neelix and Kess are useless. I like the idea of a Cardassian crew member, but one that's from an old accidental colony, one born and raised in the Delta Quadrant. And let's make Kim interesting. Kill him off, repeatedly. Give him some Technobabble immortality curse early on, like Jack Harkness in Who. Make every time hurt and traumatic and deal with that over time. I'm less confident in the actor's chops to pull that off, but we can try. An ending? Sort of like the idea of having a lot of time pass over the show, and especially in the finale. Let them reach a federation long past all good things, changed perhaps for the worse. Maybe spend a few episodes in that world and end with a long day fight with the Borg or Cardassian threat uh, with a redemption and sacrifice from Janeway. Chris Franklin says, great discussion, gentlemen, lots to chew on. I didn't disagree on any of it. I know Voyager better than DS9, only because of the first few seasons that were prominently aired uh, on one of the few channels we got in our college town. It wasn't good Star Trek, but it was Star Trek, so I watched it. All your ideas sound more interesting than what we got. You nailed it. This show played it way too safe. Here was the chance to do edgy with Trek, and they blew it. For seven years. Wow. David Ace Gutierrez chimes in, says another great one. How to fix Voyager? Let Ron Moore go nuts. 
Rob Kelly says, enjoyed this episode very much, even though I bailed out on Voyager after season one and never went back. Kudos to Siskoid for that. There's a blank montage, uh, the editing of which must have been labor intensive. It probably was, but it wasn't my labor as I gave credit where credit was due in the show notes. It's from YouTube. There is a supercut of that particular line. In retrospect, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames had to ask, we didn't talk about Seven of Nine very much, did we? And, you know, no, because she didn't really need to be fixed. Anderson 1 says, thank goodness Voyager did not turn out like Battlestar Galactica. That show got so dark and the characters became so unlikable that I stopped watching partway through season 3, and I don't care if they ever found Earth or not. I still have not watched the end of that show. If Voyager had gone that route, it simply wouldn't be Star Trek. I am one of those who did not like Voyager when it aired, but since come to really enjoy it on DVD in recent years. Yes, it was, it has flaws, but where I didn't like characters before, I like them now. Where I didn't like the plots or the aliens before, I like them much more now. It works for me as an action-adventure show in a way that simply didn't when it first aired. Maybe I'm less demanding. Yes, I'd have appreciated more forward character development and more seasons with a Starfleet Maki conflict aboard ship, but in a lot of ways, I prefer this show and its characters to TNG, something I never thought I'd hear myself say. Yes, it does make the ears bleed, Anderson. Uh, interesting commentary, but I'd enjoyed hearing the other side of the coin now and hearing a discussion from fans who enjoy Voyager. Tim Price says, I haven't watched all of Voyager. I don't really remember why. I saw most of season one, but sort of stopped trying to catch it after that. But when I did, it really became a joke about how will they reset this time. I didn't watch enough to start disliking Janeway, and I liked your ideas to keep her from turning into a Mary Sue captain. To go back to Anderson's point, there was love for Voyager on Facebook. That's where, you know, that's where people comment before they even heard the show, uh, and they wanted to throw their support for that iteration. Let's read a few of those. We have Tim Trevette, who says, My wife loves Voyager, though she recognizes its weaknesses. She still rewatches the whole series from time to time. Adam Ackerman is less enthusiastic. He says, Fix Voyager? Wasn't this Hercules' 13th task? Cal Davis says uh, Voyager is one of his favorite treks. Is it just him? But he does say, paradoxically, that Voyager is both his favorite trek series and the one he thinks has the most room for improvement. KG Baker thinks Voyager is better than DS9 or so far. He's never watched them until recently and is in season three and five, respectively. Both are at the bottom of the Star Trek pile, though, which to me is just the theater of the absurd. And let's end with Michael Warbington. He says, if Voyager had been perfect, we never would have gotten the amazing Battlestar Galactica reboot. We owe it for driving Ron Moore away, in other words. Well, the Fire and Water Podcast Network now has a Patreon page, as you know, maybe, uh, at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. If you like this content and want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. It even unlocks rewards. For example, for $5 a month, you could get yourself on the Starfleet commendations list, like Lieutenants Junior Grade, John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames, and full Lieutenant Doug Van Diver. Thanks, guys, for your contribution and for valiantly helping the Romulans relocate. Join Doug, John, Maggie, and I in the fleet at patreon.com. As usual, let me remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, on the Fire and Water Facebook page, or on Twitter, where we are FW Podcasts. Till the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly. <laughs>